Let us pray. Father, we come to you, thanking you for how great and how awesome you are. Thank you, Father God, because there is no one who can compare, Lord. We pray and we beg you, Father, to continue to have your way in our hearts. Help us to continue to see you for just who you are, a great and awesome God who is holy and set apart from his creation. Thank you, Father, for your grace. We surrender to you now, Father. I surrender to you now, Father. Please, Father, help our hearts to surrender to whatever you would have us to think, however you would have us to obey. Please, Father, help us to push past our flesh, to push past our natural desires and to think spiritually, to see you, Father, as high and lifted up. Help this message, help this word, Father God, connect in our hearts in a way that only you can connect, Father. Forgive us, Father, for anything that would hinder us from hearing clearly from you, Father God, your, your voice, Father God, your voice of peace, your voice of of thunder, your voice of lightning, Father God. Speak, God. Give us a servant's heart, Father. We beg you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I am so honored to have the opportunity to worship with you all today and to serve you through the preaching of God's most holy and powerful word. We have completed our series entitled I'm Connected and today we are going to start a fresh and a new series entitled The Connected Family. The Connected Family. A large portion of the series will be focused on marriage, but if you are a Christian today, no matter where you are relationally, this series, by the grace of God, will be meaningful to you because this series is from and based upon the Word of God. So those of you who are single and desiring to be married, this series will help encourage you and equip you for the person that the Lord will preferably bring in your life, for the person who is gifted with singleness and who is possibly forcing themselves to remain single because of past relational uh, failures, this message preferably will reclaim and help you to reclaim the proper perspective of marriage and family. No matter where you are, as it relates to marriage, the Word of God will help either serve you towards marriage or equip you to serve other people and counsel and minister to those whose marriages may seem to be failing. We praise God for His Word and we praise God for its power. If you could please stand out of uh, respect to the Word of God, and please turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, 
as we will look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 32. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 32. Today we are not going to exposit or go verse by verse uh, through these, or at least through verses 22 and 35. Rather, we are going to lay a foundation for the rest of the series, a foundation that will help us to interpret these verses, that will help us to better obey these verses, and as husbands and wives that will help us to understand our roles and responsibilities in the context and in the covenant of marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 33, and the precious word of God reads, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you, or each one of you, love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You may be seated in the name of Jesus the connected family, reclaiming the right perspective on marriage. Today's sermon is entitled, Reclaiming the Right Perspective on Marriage. We have to reclaim the right perspective on marriage. In spite of what you may believe, these glasses are actually not prescription. 
I am wearing them today to represent each and every one of our personal perspectives. Because every one of us has a lens through which we view the world or a worldview. That's what these glasses represent. They represent our perspective. They represent our worldview. They represent how we view God. How we ultimately view God bleeds into how we view our culture. It bleeds into how we view our customs, our circumstances, politics, and even our family. Now, each of us has our own perspective of the picture of, of marriage. We have a perspective that has been embedded, that has been drilled, that has been soaked into our hearts and minds. We have a perspective and a picture of marriage that has been shaped by a collage of things such as our upbringing or our personal experience or even the media's portrayal of marriage. The overall picture of marriage and family in Western society, if we are honest with ourselves today, is dismal. It's tangled. It's been tugged. It's been pulled. It's been ripped. And in fact, it has seemingly been distorted in a way that encourages people to make some strong conclusions. Some conclusions like, you know, the last thing that I want to do is get married. Or it has caused some of us to prolong marriage as long as we possibly can. In fact, some of us view marriage as three rings. In the words of Tony Evans, we view marriage as the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and suffering. <laughs> but today, we need to see the possibility of marriage. Today, we need to see the possibility of the beauty of family, the beauty of relationships as ordained by God. But many of us, we can't see it because our minds are, are clouded with discouragement because we have been looking for our perspective and our picture of marriage in the wrong places. Pastor theologian John MacArthur, who has become a good friend of mine's, through his books, even though he has no idea who I am, <laughs> cleverly said in his book, The Fulfilled Family, these words, let's meditate on them together, our generation is watching the death of marriage and the family as we know it. Among the many factors contributing to his destruction are immorality, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, abortion, sterilization, women's liberation, delinquency, and sexual rebellion. He says, all those things are like strands in a cord that are strangling the family unit, unquote. Now, Mr. MacArthur penned those words in, in 1997, and since then, the strands have become doubled or even added to the court that is strangling today's modern family. Listen, the picture 
And the, the picture of and practice of family is being strangled. It is being suffocated. It is being stripped down to exactly what Satan would have it. Satan is attacking the institution of marriage more than he is attacking any other institution. More than he is attacking anything else. Because Satan found out something a long time ago in the Garden of Eden. And it is this. He discovered that if he can strip the family, if he can disrupt the family, then he can disrupt society. Satan hates marriage because Satan hates God. And God instituted marriage. Whatever God declares as good, Satan would taint it and destroy it, especially marriage. Because marriage, even though it is a family, even though it is at, at a micro level, it affects the macro level of society. Society is made up of families. And Satan knows that if he can destruct the family unit, he can destruct and destroy Satan wants to taint our view of marriage. Satan wants to taint and destroy the family, anything that is connected to God. Satan is shuddering. This serpent, this slippery, slimy serpent is shuddering right now because he knows that we can be taught the blueprint or the ultimate picture of how God designed Christian marriage. He does not want connected families. He does not want a, a, a subgroup of people coming together and worshiping the Lord of hosts, the king of the universe. As Paul is penning this letter from jail to the church surrounding the provinces of Ephesus, the state of marriage in his day, in that society, was no better than our current state of marriage. See, there was a, a group named the Jews who had an extremely high divorce rate. And the reason why they had an extremely high divorce rate was because the men had an extremely low picture of women. In fact, it is recorded that Jewish men would divorce their wives on a whim for silly things that didn't matter. And that's why when we look at the gospel accounts, we see Jesus talking directly to the Jews and giving the Jews the, the proper perspective of marriage. And he lifts the standard to what God the Father's standard is and was attended in marriage. But these Jews, they had a low picture of marriage. And not only the Jews, but the Greeks, they weren't even any better. The Greek culture was plagued by prostitution, pedophilia, and homosexuality. It was plagued by these things, which led to them having a very low view of divorce. And the Romans? <laughs> and the Romans were striking out too. The Romans... Uh, straight up stripped the covenant of marriage down to being a, a super casual relationship. They had a, a Hollywood perspective of marriage. People would enter and exit into marriage like you and I enter and exit Walgreens. <laughs> On top of that, the Roman women 
being plagued by the feministic movement. There was two thoughts for the, the average Roman women of the day. The first was is that one section of women did not want to have children because they figured that children were a burden and that a child would mess up their figure. The other side of Roman women had an attitude that said, wait a minute, we don't believe in gender roles. Whatever a man can do, we can do as well. And not only that, we can do it better. So Paul, as he is writing this letter, is writing this letter to a society that has the wrong perspective, a tainted perspective of marriage. As we look at our culture, and as we look at how marriage is represented today, as we think about possibly our past marriages and our past failures or our parents' marriages, we do not want to be discouraged. In fact, we, as we look to God's word, should be encouraged, should be encouraged to know that God has spoken about marriage and that we can re reclaim the proper perspective of marriage. Paul was not discouraged when he wrote to the church at Ephesus. Paul was not discouraged, but rather Paul was encouraged because Paul had received a wonderful revelation from God. God had revealed a, a wonderful mystery to Paul. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is now pinning the blueprint of marriage. He is now showing us what marriage can be when two Christians come together. With their hearts united to God, Paul shows us that marriage can be joy-filled, that marriage can be beautiful, that marriage can be an awesome experience if we go back to the creator of marriage and see what he has to say about it. Paul sets a glorious, 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 Glorious picture of possibility for you and for me. But if we are going to reclaim marriage, if we are going to reclaim the proper perspective of marriage, then we must see that this magnificent revelation of hope will only work if we understand the foundation on which this picture is built. When Paul pens Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 32, he has already laid one major beam of the foundation that will help us to discover how we fulfill the roles and responsibilities that's let out. He's already laid that one beam. And within this text, he lays another beam of the foundation that we must see if we are going to have wonderful marriages and reclaim the proper perspective. The first foundation that we must see, the first thing that we must understand and value as Christians if we are going to have joy-filled, Satan-shattering, Christ-honoring marriages is that we must understand and value our salvation. We must understand and we must value our salvation. As two individuals 
in marriage. We must value what God has done in our lives. Our marriages, Paul has shown us, should look radically different from the world because we reverence and we value something that is radically different than the world. If we see this, we will be able to snatch back the perspective of marriage from the trifling kingdom of Satan and, 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 and transfer our minds to the terrific kingdom of God. We must understand, we must value our salvation. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. That's what Paul has been emphasizing in his letter so far. He's been emphasizing in this letter salvation. He's been emphasizing in his letter that salvation is a big deal. That if we are going to have the proper relationships, if we are going to enjoy life in the way that God has intended it, that we must see our salvation correctly. I must see my salvation correctly if I am going to love Amber. So Paul teaches us. You must see your salvation correctly. You must not only understand it, but you must value it if you are going to love your husband and respect your husband in a magnificent way. Paul stuns us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. He stuns us. He, he, he shows us that salvation is the work of God. That salvation is miraculous. He, he stuns us by telling us that God has given us every spiritual blessing that we need to live successful Christian lives. He stuns us by showing us that God has chosen us to be in him. But he chose us to be in him before the foundation of the world was laid. God chose you to be a Christian. God chose you to be saved before the foundation of the world was laid. He stuns us by showing us that before we existed, before we were conceived, that God adopted us as sons into his family. He, he stuns us by showing us that he did this through his son's blood, that we are redeemed, that we have been forgiven, that our trespasses have been wiped clean by a sacrifice, a sacrifice of his son. He stuns us by showing us that we have been sealed. We have been sealed. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul just goes nuts. He says, listen, not only has God chosen you, not only husband has God adopted you, not only wife has God sanctified you and, and sealed you, but he did it in spite of you. Paul says we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. We were walking corpse. We were zombies following the prince and the power of this world. But then it says, but God being rich in mercy. 
He snatched us back from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of God. If our marriages are going to be joy-filled, if our marriages are going to be God-pleasing, if our marriages are, is going to, to, to shake the world and encourage the world to look at what's going on here, it must be built on a foundation, a foundation of salvation. Husbands, do you value your salvation? When you think, when you see, when you hear this proclaimed, do you get goosebumps? Does this message, this gospel message that God chose you in spite of you before you were born? That God snatched you out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred you in the kingdom of light? Does this message, does this reality that God delivered you from a path of death mean anything to you? Paul has been building this foundation. He's been saying, Jamal, he's been saying, Force, look, in order for us to understand Ephesians 5, and 32, we must understand and value what God has done for us and the riches of God's grace. See, when we understand and when we truly value, when I understand and I truly value what God has done for me, when I truly understand that I am not saved, that I am not in Christ because I am so good or because God needed me or because uh, I'm intelligent or, or whatever you want to put in there because I have a do. God does not need us. When we understand that God has saved us in spite of ourselves in order to make this world marvel, at his wisdom and our foolishness. When I understand that God has done this in my life in spite of me, that I am able to walk and I am called to walk a certain way. When we understand and value salvation, it changes our marriages because it changes us as individuals. I'm going to say that again. Hello, lights. That's your name. Say, don't miss this. Amen. When we understand and value our salvation, our marriages are different because we are different. Go on a journey with me. Paul uses a word constantly throughout this letter, and the word is walk. He constantly is talking about walking, constantly talking about walking. And what he's saying is that when we have received salvation and when we understand salvation, our walk becomes different, and our standard of walking becomes different. Go on, let's go on a quick journey, amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. 
It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. Okay, so before we came to Christ, we were walking this way, following the ways of Satan. But God came in and he changed us. And he called us to walk in the opposite direction. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Not only does he cause us, but he enables us. Praise God for that. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in this manner that you've been called. And how is that? How have I been called? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Paul says that when we understand our salvation, that we were walking one way and that we've been called to walk another way, that our walk changes. It changes to gentleness. It changes to humility. We're called to change, to be patient, and to bear with one another. This is written to Christians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Stay with me. We're almost there. Amen. Verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And then he explains that some more. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk. In love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children in the light. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you, oh, y'all ain't convinced me. We'll read it again. Look at your Bibles. Look carefully at then how you, y'all ain't convinced me. Look carefully at then how you, how you walk. How you walk. Paul is emphasizing the Christian walk. He's saying that when we understand and value salvation, when we really understand, and not when we know church, not when we can just repeat phrases, but when we truly understand, when we truly marvel at Christ and what he has done, it will compel us to walk, to walk a certain way. It will compel us to walk as imitators of God. It will compel us to walk as those who are in the light. Brother Bishop, Brother Maceo, please. Walk a certain way. And these brothers, they got a cool walk, don't they? 
thought Denzel Washington had a cool walk there. <laughs> compels us to walk a certain way. And how does this walk look? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about it in language. He says we ought to put off the old man and we are to put on the new man. As we look at Ephesians chapter 5, we see Paul speaking. He says, put away falsehood and speak truth. Put truth. Put away anger and do not sin. He tells us to put away being trifling and stealing, but now labor. He tells us to put away corrupt talk and now speak with our mouths and edify one another. Here's what Paul is saying. As we are walking, as we are valuing and understanding our salvation and walking in the manner in which we are called, something happens. Y'all stay right there. Y'all looking good. Something happens. And this is what happens. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. In fact, we'll go up a little more. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul says that as we walk, as we value our salvation, as we beg God and partner with God and looking more like God, God then fills us with the Spirit. And as he fills us with the Spirit, we then are able to live out our responsibilities as Christians and as spouses. Before he talks about marriage, he talks about salvation. He talks about walking a certain way. And the reason why many Christian marriages are failing and looking like the world is because many people are walking, they are feeding their flesh more than they are their spirit. The flesh. It says, be filled, not with wine, but filling themselves with wine. We can take out wine and we can put something else there. Be filled, not with weed. Be filled, not with pointless sinful, ignorant, degrading things on television. Be filled not with our girlfriend who is single opinion about how we should treat our man. He says rather than feeding the flesh, and as we feed the flesh, our flesh gets stronger and stronger, and when trials and tribulation comes, I'm trying to figure out who do I please, my, the spirit man or the flesh. Well, the flesh has been getting fed, and the flesh is pulling me over here. And the spirit man is like. Hey, what's up, man? But when we feed the spirit, he says, be filled with the spirit. He's not talking some mystical, uh, over charismatic language. Being filled with the Spirit is not a second filling. Being spirit filled with the Spirit, when Paul talks about it, means just that, being filled 
filled with spiritual things, being filled with the word of God. When we fill ourselves with the word of God, when we fill ourselves with the things of God, when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, the spiritual man becomes strong. And we are able to walk worthy of the calling that God has given us. <laughs> you guys may be seated. Look at verse 21, and we're almost there. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, that's the problem in marriage. That's the problem in family. That's the problem in church. That's the problem in life. Problem is, is that we have a problem submitting. And the reason why we have a problem submitting, the reason why there's so much contention, so much argument, so much fighting, so much bitterness, so much jealousy in our marriages and in our relationships is because we are not spirit filled when we are dealing with our problems. Being spirit filled enables us to submit. How, husband, how, wife, is the atmosphere at your home? Are you addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Do you ever sing and make medley to the Lord? Uh, is your house filled with the Spirit. If it's not, and you see that it's not, value your salvation. Talked to a gentleman not uh, too long ago. Actually, it was, it was, a, it was a couple, and uh, they're not in any way associated with this church, not in the state at all. And they were sharing with me some marital problems that they had had. And they were sharing with me how when they get upset, one person says one thing, and they just have these outlandish arguments where they just call one another outside of their name, and they just curse, and they just swear. They say, we don't understand. We're coming to church. I said, what's, what's the problem with our marriage? I'm going to say, I'm going to be honest with you. The problem with your marriage is your salvation. It's not that, you may, that you're not saved, possibly. I don't know. God knows but it's that you're not filled with the Spirit. You're not filling the spiritual man. If you are able to curse someone out, and that is regular, and that is your standard, then you have to go back to the Word of God and see that Jesus has called us to a completely different standard. And they, one of the couple said, well, when he says this to me, I say this to him. I ain't no chump. And I responded and said, you are looking at things from the old perspective, from the old man. You are a new creature, a new creation. You have been purchased by blood, redeemed. And there is a standard. It's a standard of gentleness. It's a standard of humility. 
It's a standard of repentance. It's a standard of brokenness. It's a standard that calls us to look like Christ. When Christ was reviled, he did not revile back. When Christ was cursed, he was not cursed. He did not curse back. When Christ was beat and mistreated, he did not beat and mistreat back. And he called us to die to ourselves daily. And that's what death looks like. If any man will follow after me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross, not pick up his computer bag. Not pick up whatever. He says, pick up his cross and follow. Walk after me. Your marriage, your relationships, your life depends upon your salvation. The only way that we are going to be able to have joy-filled, Christ-honoring, Satan-shattering marriages is if we value and understand that salvation, our salvation, it is a huge deal. A huge deal. Go to all the conferences you want. We can go to all the seminaries we want. We can read all the self-help books we want. If salvation does not give us goosebumps and make us excited if having a new life in Christ and understanding the blood and the life and the death of Jesus does not make our hearts burn then we won't be able to submit to one another for the person who says well I'm submitting I'm doing this I'm doing that and my husband he's not my wife she's not they're not in Christ I'm just wasting my time. What should you do? 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tells us what to do. If that person chooses to stay in the marriage union with you, they're an unbeliever, Paul says stay. Stay. And while you stay, what do you do? You walk. You walk in the light. And by you walking in the light, that person's heart can be transformed. 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about the woman who was married to a man who does not love God's word. Paul, Peter tells the woman, he says, he says, serve God, reverence God, walk after God, love God. He says, do it with a gentle and a quiet spirit. And that man may have a possibility of coming to the light. Our salvation has everything to do with our relationship. Singles, don't settle. Don't settle for someone who does not have the possibility and does not have the fruit to be able to walk in the Spirit. Don't settle. Don't missionary date. Say, I'm a missionary and I'm going to date him. He's a thug right now, but ooh, he's going to be just like Paul when he comes to the Lord. <laughs> or pastor, I'm telling you, this woman, I know that she is from the Lord. Well, how do you know she's from the Lord? I'll be honest, because anything that looks that good has to be divine. <laughs> well, does she know the Lord? No, she doesn't know the Lord. But pastor, I'm praying for her. Don't lower your standards. Paul said in Corinthians chapter 6, do not be unequally yoked. Pray, wait, fast, 
Give yourself to the mission of the Lord. Trust the Lord. If you don't have the gift of singleness, know that the Lord knows that and he can provide you with a spirit-filled person. person who wants to please the Lord. We're going to stop right there today. And we'll pick up our second point the next time we are able to be in each other's presence on a Sunday morning. I cut it short so that we can absorb that thought that our marriages has everything to do with the way we view our salvation. Our salvation. I told that couple the issue with your marriage is not the other person. The issue with your marriage is your relationship with God. Our vertical relationship with God will affect our horizontal relationship with each other. Being connected to God affects the way I respond when others do me wrong. And if I'm able to respond in a Christ-exalting, Christ-edifying way, then that person's heart may be changed by my words. To share a story of a person who was close with me, who was close and dear to me, they told me, a gentleman, he told me, he said, listen, the only reason that I am in Christ right now is because of my wife's love for Christ. He said, when we got married, both of us weren't, neither of us were, were serious about God. But my wife became saved. And the arguments we used to have started going a lot different. In the past, I would say something to her. She would say something back. We would throw things. We would argue. We would fight. And that was the night I would walk out or she would leave. We'll make up in two days and do it all over again next week. <laughs> it said that when I became saved, I became saved because her response became different. Because her heart was changed. It was regenerated by God. When I would swear and when I would mistreat her, she would bless me and she would pray for me. Our marriages, our family, our perspective of marriage will only be reclaimed if we review our Gracious Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for a blueprint of marriage, for marriage. Help us to walk worthy of the calling in which we have received. Help us to know and understand that your word is the key to us walking with you. Help us to value your word and your blueprint more than we do Dr. Phil or some other help, self-help guru who doesn't know you. Help us, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.